Wow, Carl Brock, you've done it again. The Gut Healing Summit is here, featuring 16 leading experts sharing groundbreaking information on the gut and microbiome. Now, these experts include Dr. Perlmutter, Pete Evans, and a range of your favorite wellness couch hosts, including me, Damien Christoph, also Cindy O'Meara and Joe Witten. Recorded in beautiful HD high-quality video interviews, Kale and his expert guests distill microbiome research into an actionable, comprehensive message for you to improve your health and well-being today. Now, just go to www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash gut health and you'll get free access to the Wellness Summit Home Study Package just for signing up. That's right. So if you go to www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash gut health, not only do you get the Gut Summit videos and interviews free, but you will also get access to the Wellness Summit Home Study Package free just for signing up. Are you ready to bust out of the rut you're in? Do you want to take your life to a whole nother level? You aren't going to make significant change by doing what you've always done. You need a breakthrough, a circuit breaker. I've had some pretty big challenges and some pretty big breakthroughs in my life over the last few years, and I've found that the best way to break through, the best way to elevate my life is to challenge myself, to do something a bit scary, whether it be running an ultramarathon, jumping out of a plane, or speaking on stage to a thousand people. Every time I take on a challenge, I grow, and I grow not just in one area, but in every area of my life. And I didn't just jump out of the plane by myself, I jumped in tandem with an expert, Someone who'd done it thousands of times before, someone who knew how to prepare and who knew how to execute. If you're ready to transform, if you're ready for exponential growth in your life, then head to www.drbretthill.com and check out Kokoda Elevation. It might be just the challenge you're looking for. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by Walid Abdul Wahab, and I hope I've said that right. Um, He's got a passion for camel milk, which began in Saudi Arabia, where he was visiting his family in his hometown of Jeddah looking for raw milk. He was approached by a friend with a plastic bag of camel milk that looked, apparently, really fresh and tasted so good. But when he couldn't find it anywhere in the stores, he decided that there might be a bit of a market here. He went back to the US, moved to California, and realized that people were valuing it, a healthy lifestyle, that camel milk could actually be part of that. And so he created his own company. Um, So welcome to the show, Walid. Thank you so much, Dr. Brett, for having me. Mate, this sounds like a fascinating story and a fascinating journey. So I'd love you to tell us a little bit about your health journey and a little bit more about how you came across this camel milk idea and what made you decide to turn it into a company. Absolutely. I'd love to. So uh, going back a few years ago, I, uh, I, lived in, I lived in the desert of Saudi Arabia for about 20 years. And um, you know, I consider myself a nomad and a Bedouin and always looking for you know, top superfoods um all every time i travel and uh, one thing i've realized is that not many people look to the desert for their answers to some of the hmm. some of like severe chronic illnesses and this is where i started looking to my hometown you know saudi arabia obviously is one of the largest deserts in the world and i was looking for foods that actually come out from there and uh, you know obviously you know those who who live in the desert um 
you know, not only survive but thrive. And only the strongest and fittest can can withstand some of the harshest, um, you know, desert climate. And um, you know, obviously, in Australia as well, the outback is is pretty known for that. And, and Campbells are actually very um, have actually thrived in in in, in the outback. Yeah. Um, and some of the the top you know biologists have have been have been shocked about how they could you know they're one of the few animals that that just started to grow in numbers just because it was such a perfect um, environment for them. So, uh, you know, w- when I started this company, you know, I, I, the first animal I looked in, I looked to was the camel because the camel was obviously, you know, the most common, uh, livestock we have back in, back home. And, um, you know, my grandparents used to tell me, you know, camel's milk was, was more of a healing product. They would use it for, uh, healing purposes. And it was kind of like your, cure all disease you know every culture has their cure all disease type of product <laughs> camel milk was ours and uh you know no one really understood the science behind it i didn't understand it um but then when i moved to the u.s um i started really getting getting into the community the paleo space the biohackers um and then i, I started making the connection um between you know the fats of life and then how fat is really good for you and um, eating, you know, a primal diet that's, you know, that, that has no, no, no such processing involved in it. Um, and that's where I started digging into the research of camel's milk and found it to be, you know, very healing, uh, for, for a number of people and, and, and a number of reasons. And, uh, that's where I decided I needed to introduce this ancient wisdom, uh, back to the Western world and infuse it with modern science. Um, and so in 2013 was, was when I first launched uh, the company Desert Farms. Um, and we've grown very well within people who have autoimmune disorders, uh, people who have autism, um, uh, you know, any type of chronic disease. And it's the only milk out there actually that's paleo approved by the Pele Foundation. And, um, it's gotten, it's got a lot of recognition from some of the top, uh, paleo inf- influencers in the community. Um, such as Rob Wolf and, and many others. So um, we're, we're very excited that we were embraced because, as we all know, milk isn't uh, as paleo-friendly mm-hmm. as, as other products. But in this case, it's very different just because of the the, the, the anatomy of the camel. It's so different than, than, bovine, uh, than bovine milk, and it just puts it in a complete different category. And uh, I'd love to share with you more about some of the benefits of, of the milk. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start right from the start first because I'm kind of fascinated. You said that you, you're from the desert in Saudi Arabia. You consider yourself a nomad and a Bedouin and I'm curious as to that lifestyle uh, because, you know, obviously paleo lifestyle, we like to look at, um, you know, previous uh, lifestyles and current lifestyles of people who are living differently to the way we do in the Western world um, to see what sort of lessons we can learn from that. And so, w- what is a Bedouin lifestyle? You know, how, how do they live? What do they eat? What's a typical day? look like you know a better lifestyle is 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 honestly very similar to a primal diet i mean we savor fat so much uh we use um for example you know one of the one of the main delicacies we have is using the hump fat of the camel as a dip for meat and uh interesting thing about the camel is that it's so lean throughout the whole body and the only amount of fat that it has stored is, is in the hump and contra- contrary to popular belief, a lot of people think the hump stores water, but it actually stores fat. And that's, that's 
you know, that, that clearly shows us that, that fat is a source of energy. And camels are using this fat as a source of energy to roam through the desert for a month without food or water. Um, and, and we, you know, living in, living in the desert, we kind of savor this, this fat as, as our source of energy. So we were eating really high fats, uh, a lot of meat, very little fruits. I mean, the only fruits we would get is, is literally dates. Um, and that's the only thing you can, you can pretty much, you know, find without it spoiling. Mm. Um, and obviously a lot of water. Uh, so that was pretty much the staple of, of our diet. And has that been the diet like forever? Like is, is that, you know, if we talk about sort of a paleo diet, you know, for how long have they been eating that way in the desert? Is that just the way they've always eaten? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, co- co- coffee is really, coffee is really big. Uh, Arabica coffee is huge. Um, and, and um, uh, dates and milk and meat. So that's like the most most common staple um, the Bedouins eat all the time. Um, I mean, meat is the biggest, obviously the, the biggest chunk of of uh, of the diet. But um, you know, when 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 you're inviting friends and and having festivities, like you're always there's always meat on the table, um, no matter what, and it's always the fattiest part of the meat. And, you know, if the meat, if the meat has a lot of fat, then it's, it's essentially, you know, you, you're honoring your guest because of that reason. And let's talk about camels because, uh, you know, Walid, I'm, I'm about to move into a new house, moving back up to the Adelaide Hills here, which, which I'm really excited about. And I've got an acre of land and I've got some grass there that I need to keep down. And, and we're starting to have discussions about possibly getting some sort of an animal to keep it down. But honestly, camels aren't on my list because they seem like kind of cantankerous animals. Um, what's it like dealing with camels? You know, it's a funny story because I will tell I will tell everyone, and everyone has a misconception that camels spit and they're mean and all that stuff. I've never seen, uh, I've never gotten spit on by a camel, and you know, a camel essentially is a reflection of its owner. <laughs> so you know, back in back in the Middle East as well, when people used to trade goods, they used to bring their camels to see how well they're trained. And if and if the camel isn't well trained, then that's a reflection of the owner, and they wouldn't conduct business with them. So that's that was a good sign of of, of business relationship, and uh, you know as as far as I know the camels I've been around uh, they're they're very well tamed. You can, you could can get some wild ones if you don't know how to you know obviously train them. That might be dangerous, but you know they're not you know they're they're, they're not they're not creatures that that are inherently wild and dangerous. Like you, you might get a bad bunch, but overall they're very loving. There you go. All right. So I'm learning about camels here. I like this. This is interesting. And, and it makes so much sense. You know, we know that uh, if you look at, for example, dogs, which are, you know, such a favorite pet in the West, they're exactly the same. You know, you can have a great dog and you can have a vicious dog. And, and the difference really is, as you said, the owners and the way they're looked after and the way they're treated. So um, that actually makes heaps of sense. All right. So let's talk about then camel milk. Um, you know, obviously, as you said, uh, milk is not traditionally a paleo food. So what is it that's so different about milk that's seeing it become more accepted by the paleo community? Sure. So that's a great question. And one of the reasons why it's been accepted, why camel's milk has been accepted by the paleo community is because it's, it's, it's non-allergenic. Uh, the protein structures are completely different than any other milk uh, out there. And more specifically, it lacks the uh, A1 uh, protein that a lot of people are allergic to. 
Um, I know in Australia, New Zealand, A2 is more, 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 more popular than mm. uh, the concept of A2 milk is more popular than the U.S. The U.S. is just learning more about it. Uh, but but the fact that our, the milk is raw and A2 makes a huge difference in the digestibility of of, of anyone who's lactose intolerant and uh, has dairy allergies. So it has all the beneficial enzymes to help you digest it. And the proteins are, are, are so unique, more similar to human milk than any other milk out there. And we've conducted a number of studies uh, that shows that camel's milk uh, indeed uh, stimulates very similar properties to colostrum. And so what colostrum is, is, is first milk. And colostrum isn't really considered milk because it doesn't get secreted out of the bacterial gland. It's more out of the veins. And that's essentially the milk that is used within the first few hours after birth to be given to, to babies um, to make sure that they, that they survive and have a very strong immunity. Um, and some of the properties that are found in colostrum are that it's really high in lactoferrin, really high in immunoglobulins and cytokines. And those are the key, some of the key proteins that are required to, bu- to boost someone's immunity. Camel's milk has that level of colostrum in it throughout the whole lactation cycle of the camel and not just for the first few hours, if that makes sense. So on a regular basis, it stimulates colostrum um, throughout, throughout its lactation cycle. So anyone who is, who is into bodybuilding or looking to boost their immune system or just getting really, really healthy, um, you want to be consuming colostrum. And the problem with consuming colostrum is a lot of it is, in, is either in powder form or pasteurized. So that denatures some of the protein. Um, in our case, you can get it fresh or in powder form, which is freeze-dried. Um, and that retains a lot of the nutritional profile of it. Well, I'm curious about that from a biological perspective. Why is it that the camel's milk retains the colostrum in it for the entire time rather than just for the for the first period? Yeah, so the the anatomy of the camel is uh, has a very has a very unique uh, digestive system. It's it's got you know it's the way the way its gut functions and its microbiome is completely different, and uh, you know when we when we when we've tested the the milk. On a mature basis, all year round, um, you're you're getting you're getting the levels to be a lot higher throughout the lactation cycle cycle versus decreasing. Because usually with with breast milk and other milk products, um, when you, when you when you test the nutritional profile, it's super nutritious early on when it's given birth, and then the nutritional profile goes goes slightly down. But with camels, it actually goes up. Now this is something we're still we're fascinated about and we're still trying to figure out as to why but a lot of the science has been saying that it's it's because of the nem- the anatomy of the camel and it's it's it, the way its stomach functions and and its microbiome it's so unique and people are extracting the nanobodies out of the camels uh to start using medicine and drugs because of that reason so uh, you know we we still don't have an exact a- answer as to as to why to make it simple <laughs> but we know that it's it's actually doing people a lot a lot of good. 
Oh, it's fascinating, isn't it? All right. So uh, let's talk about raw milk, Walid, because raw milk can be quite a controversial topic here in Australia. I'm not sure what it's like in America, but you know, at various stages, they seem to keep changing the legislation around milk here in Australia. I'm not even up to speed on what the, how it currently sits now because it seems to keep changing all the time. And I'm not a consumer of milk, so I probably don't follow it as closely as I otherwise would. Uh, but you know, various times we've had you know raw milk has been banned in Australia. You know, we've had this situation where people do cow shares where they you know, have a part ownership in a cow so that they can get access to their raw milk for, from their own cow, which was allowed, but buying raw milk wasn't. We've had uh, you know, people buying uh, bath milk in stores because it was allowed to be sold. Uh, raw milk was allowed to be sold for the purpose of having a bath, but not for the purpose of drinking and all that kind of carry-on. So, what's the, what's the situation with raw milk in America and what are the benefits of people having raw milk as opposed to homogenized pasteurized milk? You know, that's, that's a very... Great question with raw milk, and I'm very uh, involved in the raw milk movement, um, you know, in the United States. And it's really, it's really, you know, based less on logic and more on politics. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people think that raw milk is dangerous and it kills you. Well, raw milk doesn't kill you. Pathogens kill you. And pathogens can be found in any food mm. and anywhere. So a lot of people have to realize that the source of uh, of the milk is more important than anything else. You can't really pinpoint that raw milk is dangerous when it's not. It's just the pathogens that are found in there can be dangerous. And you we can avoid all these pathogens from the very first place by having very clean sanitary practices. Uh, I mean, California, where, where I currently live right now, it's a raw state. You can sell raw milk. Anywhere in stores, directly from a farm, you know, we passed a bill that it, that it's allowed. But some states, um, actually, a lot of them don't allow it. Some of them allow, um, like cow share programs. Some of them allow uh, milk only, raw milk only to be sold uh, to the consumer and not to retail. So every state has its own, you know, rulings around it. Uh, but none of it is based on safety. It's based just purely on 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 politics. Um, and you know, the, the difference between raw and pasteurized milk, you know, there's, there's, there's two, there's two schools of thoughts, you know, I'm a huge proponent of raw milk. You know, if, if, if I know I can get, if I can get access of clean, fresh raw milk, I'm always going to choose it no matter what. Um, but it, when in doubt, you know, there's no harm in pasteurizing it, but uh, a lot of people will tell you, you know, it, when you pasteurize when you pasteurize milk it denatures a lot of the protein and you you lose a lot of the enzymes that is required uh for you to digest it and what's interesting enough is that on in the US on the FDA website the number one allergen in the United States is pasteurized milk not raw milk pasteurized and that's that's to show that it's 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 the pasteurization that really denatures the milk that allows us to to digest it properly. A lot of people aren't really lactose intolerant. They it, it just you know they think they are, but but they're not. When you give them raw milk in its raw form, they do really really well in it. So it's not really a lactose issue. It's the fact that it's the milk has been denatured. Um, and there's a great book that was written about. It. It's called it's called Dead Milk, uh, or, or actually it's called the the Devil in the Milk. And, you know, the, the author refers it as, as, as milk being dead because you're just drinking, you're just drinking water, essentially. Um, so there's obviously there's different, there's different processing of pasteurization. 
you could do the more commercial side, which is I'm completely against. And that's like, you know, a flash pasteurization where it's at 280 degrees Fahrenheit for like three or four seconds versus you could do a, a smaller batch of pasteurization, which I'm, I'm for that uh, as an alternative. And it's 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 like the lowest legal limit for it to be considered pasteurized. It's at 180 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 minutes. So if, think about think about cooking a piece of meat. You know, would you rather someone cook cook you a steak uh, at a really high temperature in, in two seconds, or would you want the chef to to give you a nice piece of steak that's slow and 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 uh, and, uh, and cooked at at a, at a at a very low temperature? Um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the taste and, and texture of, of, of the milk would, would still retain, um, when it's cooked at a very low and slow temperature. Uh, so that's, that's also something that we offer. Uh, so because of that, of that division, we decided that we don't want to really enforce, you know, a consumer decision. So we decided to offer both raw for those who, who, who are comfortable and, and feel safe. And we all, we offer a much lower pasteurized version um, of camel's milk just so that we don't eliminate anyone because we believe in camel's milk, you know, it, it doesn't really matter if it's raw or pasteurized. It's People are still seeing great benefits for it and we don't want to eliminate just the fear of, 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 of the fact that the, the milk is raw. That's cool. That's cool. And I've, I've actually never heard of that, the different temperatures of pasteurizing. And just for the Aussies who are listening in, uh, the 180 degrees Fahrenheit is about 82 degrees Celsius. So just a little quick little conversion there, my Mr. Google has told me. So um, so it is it's quite a low temperature, which is cool and, and does make a lot of sense once again. So it's interesting, Waleed, you were talking about the enzymes to process the milk and how some of those enzymes obviously exist within the milk. Some of those enzymes exist within the body. And, and obviously the debate around milk has often been, well, how long have we actually been consuming milk for? So um, I'm kind of curious in the desert, uh, as to how long they've been consuming milk for, uh, because you know a, a camel doesn't seem like the kind of animal you'd want to just saunter up to and start uh, you know sucking from its teeth. So so I, I just I wonder for for how long in those desert regions have they been consuming milk? I mean I mean camels biblically have are are the first animals to actually be be milked, and you know you could you can ask a lot of anthropologists about it and they confirm that. So, you know, it goes back to even biblical times um, because they're, they're one of the only animals that, you know, that can, that can really thrive in the desert and survive. So, uh, you know, it's been, a camel's been milked for, for, for thousands of years and people have been consuming it, you know, since, since the beginning of time, since camels were, were you know, were, were domesticated. Um, so it's, it's, it's nothing new. It's not something we've, we've innovated or anything like that. We're just bringing back you know our 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 consumers back to their roots yeah cool and so what does camel milk taste like you know it's it's uh it's interesting it's an interesting question because it's it differs from farm to farm and differs from feed and environment as well <laughs> so you'll never get a camel that tastes exactly the same because obviously every farmer has different practices obviously the camel's environment is different and obviously the feed of the camel um, differentiates from farm to farm. Uh, now, all our camels are, are raised on pasture. They they eat a mixture of hay, alfalfa, and organic oats. Um, so we've we've tried to keep our, our milk, uh, the taste of our milk, very consistent. Uh, but during the lactation cycle as well, uh, the milk changes. 
So there's a lot of factors influencing the taste. But to summarize, it, it, it tastes very similar to skimmed cow's milk. Um, so it's, it's a very smooth, light taste. Uh, in a blind test, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Some people would say that it's, it's slightly saltier. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's almost impossible to tell the difference. And you say that it tastes kind of like skim milk. So is it a lower fat content in terms of the milk? Like how, in terms of the, the sort of macros of fat, protein, and carbohydrates, how does it compare to regular milk? It's, it has a 9% uh, uh, fat content. So it's about 1% or 2% more than, um, than cow's milk. But it has like – the thing is it's non-homogenized. So the fat usually rises to the, to the top. And so you might get a really nice, fat, creamy part of the milk, but then at the you know once you're halfway through the glass, it's 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 you know the fat content obviously reduces. So that's why I say as a, it's very similar to skimmed milk because it's it's very light, it doesn't feel heavy, and it's not thick at all, uh, and it's an extremely opaque white. You know, it's very uh, you know it's probably the whitest milk I've seen. And so, how do people typically consume the milk? Obviously, you've mentioned they're just having a glass of camel's milk. Um, is it typically uh, just drunk by itself like that? Are people using it in recipes? Um, are they, you know, do they have it on their, you know, their paleo granola? <laughs> how do people typically consume the camel's milk? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, it, 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 the consumption of camel milk differs by country. Obviously, in the Middle East, where it's, where it's a lot more, um, you know, abundant, you know, people use it in a number of ways, um, you know, in, as a creamer in their coffee or just drinking on its own. Um, I've never seen anyone pouring it on their cereal and I kind of don't recommend it because, um, you know, it's, that's not, it's not a commodity where it's an add-on. It's more of a functional beverage. So in the U.S., we've seen a lot of people consume between two to four ounces a day. Um, and that's pretty much the amount you want to consume to really maximize the benefits. Um, you know, some people might go up to eight ounces, which is, you know, uh, about half a liter a day, uh, at the most. Um, but the, the consumption of, of camel's milk is not the same consumption as cow's milk. You don't want to be using it in your cereal or in your coffee or, or, and all that type of stuff. Like it's, you're not, we're not meant to be drinking that much milk. And, but this type of milk is, is, you know, it's so it's so powerful in terms of like its you know immune properties that just a little bit goes a really long way. And what about price, Walid? Is camel's milk you know comparable to cow's milk? Is it more expensive? Is it cheaper? How does it sit from a pricing perspective? Camel's milk is a lot more expensive. It's uh, right now it's about eighteen dollars uh, per liter, hmm. so that's about ten times more expensive. Um, but it, that's just, you know, the, the perception a lot of people have is that when we, when we say, when we say milk, a lot of people compare it to cow's milk and goats and soy, but like it, the category of camel's milk is, is a completely different category. I mean, it's not even in the same category as milk. It's more of a functional food. It's a gut shot. It's an immune booster. So uh, people are using it more as a supplement rather than as an alternative. And, and what's the reason for the price difference? I mean, when you think about it sort of just logically, you think, well, camels, you know, they seem like pretty self-sufficient sort of animals. You kind of just leave them in the desert and away they go. But, but is it, uh, you know, is it the care of the camels? Is it transportation cost to get the milk where it needs to be? 
Is it because the, the dairy industry is, is heavily subsidised? You know, what makes the major part of the difference between, or, or is it supply and demand? You know, what differs in terms of the price? Yeah, I mean, the, the basic, uh, the simple answer is that we're outnumbered. You know, it's, uh, there's not many camels in the world uh, compared to cow's milk. I mean, I think the ratio is, is 1 to 18,000 uh, in the world. So we're definitely outnumbered. Um, I mean, cam- milking camels uh, commercially has, is, is a very new concept for a lot of people. Um, you know, a lot of people just do it by themselves at their home and that type of stuff. So, you know, the, the economics of, of it has not been, you know, has not been efficient. Um, but we are working towards, you know, bringing down the price, um, you know, significantly as we increase as we increase our herd and reach economies of scale. And um, but it's not. I don't think even the next ten years it would ever compare to the same same level as as cow's milk, um, because I mean, I mean most cows are are in feedlots and you know they're very closed and they're not treated well and there's a lot of problem with their welfare, you know. The camels in the U.S. are, are fairly expensive. They cost about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars per head. So they're they're giving a, you know, all our camels are given a five class, um, you know, status. You know, they're they're on pasture. They don't have. They're never they're never confined in a small space. They're free to eat whatever they want, um, and we supplement them with a lot, with a lot of nutritional feed. So we take really good care of them. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it, it is difficult to, to raise a camel um, and to milk them, but sooner or later we will figure out to, to bring down the price. Yeah. And tell us about the powder. You mentioned before that that's freeze-dried. Um, why do you do the powders? How popular are they? And, and, and what are the benefits of doing the powder as opposed to the, the, the raw milk? Sure. So the powder is actually uh, more popular than... Uh, than the fresh milk and obviously for the simple reason it's very convenient you can put you can put it in a shaker it's heat resistant as well so if you want to bake with it or you know make smoothies out of it or or whatever you want it's 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 very it's very practical um and what separates the process of our powder versus any other powder um is that most i would say like 90 percent of all commercial powder is done through a spray drying process and what a spray drying process is, is that it requires double pasteurization. First, it, it gets pasteurized through the tunnel, and then it gets pasteurized at the nozzle when it gets sprayed. And the temperature is really, really high. So it's getting, you know, the proteins are definitely getting denatured, and the temperature is a lot higher than your regular pasteurization. Whereas freeze-dried, uh, I mean, most people are commonly, commonly know freeze-dried because that's, that's kind of the foods that astronauts take with them in space. Um, it's essentially you, you, you put you put the liquid or the food inside a vacuum um, and it just dehydrates the water. Um, so there's no heat involved whatsoever in it. And so the only thing that you're removing from, uh, you know, from that product is just the water. And when you add the water back to it, it gets exactly to, the, to, this, to, its, to its same state. And so this is the most nutritional way um, to uh, to process powder. It's actually the most bioavailable way as well because our bodies can easily digest it. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I've learned so much more about camels and camel's milk uh, than I ever thought I, I would. Um, and uh, I'm sure people are going to want to find out more about you and about your products. Um, so obviously, people wanting to know more about you can head to the website, which is Desert 
desertfarms.com. Um, and they can look you up on Facebook at Desert Farms and Instagram, Desert Farms, all one word, and find out more information about the camel's milk. But they can also purchase the camel's milk from your store. Um, you were saying that it can be shipped to Australia. For those listening who are from Australia, it can be shipped to Australia. Um, you can ship the raw milk, but that's quite expensive. But also, obviously, the powdered form is much more easily available. Um, is that all correct? Well, Led, is there anything else you want to add about those products? That, that's all correct. And, um, you know, if, if anyone is looking for more information, desertfarms.com is obviously the uh, the best website to, to, to look for. And if anyone has any questions, they can definitely uh, shoot us an email at uh, camelmilk at desertfarms.com. <laughs> nice. Makes sense. All right. Thank you, Walid. Thank you so much for coming on board today. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much, Dr. Brett, for having me. I had a great time. My pleasure. Uh, so until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.